Hey, Brain Hearts, welcome back to the show. Hey, shameless plug here. If you have listened and kind of enjoyed what you've heard so far in the show, I would so appreciate it if you would take a minute to go to the podcast store, find the podcast, and rate and or review it. That helps us kind of get noticed by Apple, which could help us get featured by Apple, which then, of course, would help us add more Brain Hearts to the family. Also... Um, if you're looking to find me online, you can find me on Twitter if you just search for Basic Brainheart, um, and or on Instagram if you search for Hannah Camacho. All right, enough of that. Today we have a really special guest. We have Esther Pearl on. She's currently the founder and executive director of Camp Real Stories. She spent 15 years working in production management in the entertainment industry. She's worked on movies we've all heard of and loved, such as The Incredibles, WALL-E, Monsters, Inc., Titanic, Starship Troopers, Armageddon, What Dreams May Come, and many more. And she is super passionate about diversity in the industry as well as story in and of itself. She's super smart, really fun, and I had such a great time getting to know her and chatting with her. So without further ado, here's Esther Pearl. Esther, thank you so much for joining me today. I know you, you're having a busy week. Um, remind me again where you're located. Uh, thanks again for having me as well, Hannah. Absolutely. So I am located in the Bay Area. Camp Real Stories, which I'm the founder of, is located in both Oakland and then just south of Oakland in San Leandro. That's awesome. So do you find yourself splitting your time between the two locations or staying in the Bay Area? Uh, we're primarily in the Bay Area, and then we're just opening up a third location in Los Angeles. So I'm Ooh, a little out the state of California. <laughs> That's exciting. So let's start at the very beginning of your story, Esther, because I think sometimes it's easy when we see other folks who, you know, we may think, wow, they've had some success in their lives. They really have done some great things. Sometimes we have this misconception that somehow that person knew from the very beginning what they were supposed to be doing and it's been nothing but success for them. And we forget about kind of the struggle along the way and what formed them and and the things that they've been through. And I find your story, I mean, just from what I've read, at least online, haven't really talked to you about it yet, particularly interesting, especially considering that um, now you're working to actually make a difference and impact so many other lives. So if you don't mind, let's go ahead and start at the beginning. Okay. Um, so yeah, no, my path is not at all linear. I actually started working in the media when I was 16. So much like many of the girls that, uh, I work with now, I, uh, worked on for a democratic consulting firm in Washington, DC when I was 16. Uh, as a child, I grew up in a household with no television and basically no access to uh, popular culture. So, um, did you just say why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in Santa Cruz, okay. uh, and we moved every year, other year between Santa Cruz and Melbourne, Australia. Um, wow. And so it was a very, uh, it was a great childhood. But I think my great act of rebellion was, of course, going into a career in the media. Sure. So I really <laughs> didn't even, time. <laughs> yeah, see a television until I was in high school. Um, uh, so, you know, I started working when I was 16, but off and on, uh, I went to film school and then worked in LA for a while. 
and then moved up to the Bay Area in um, 1999 and got a job at a company that not that many people knew about called Pixar at that oh, time. Yes. Uh, and so I was there for about 10 years, which was a really great run. Wow. Um, I got the opportunity to work with some really great people and uh, on some really great films and sure. really worked from a company that went from being sort of a small family to now a household sure. name. Huge. Yeah. Can we actually dive into that a little yeah. bit? Um, I, first of all, I do find it super interesting that you didn't have a TV growing up. I know personally we did have a TV, but the t we were only allowed to watch it on weekends. And um, what was it like when you were finally kind of able to explore television? Did it have quite an effect on you, the story part? Um, do you remember much about kind of what your first interactions were like? Yeah, of course. Uh, Amy Starn, who uh, is still my friend to this day, had MTV and I would like get to go to her. Like I would always ask to go over to her house. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> I don't think my parents realized that they had MTV. Um, and that so really my story process was based based off of 80s music videos, which, yes. of course, was the golden age of Definitely. music videos. Duran Duran and all of the new wave bands That's and then great. sort of the beginning of the punk world. So um, I don't think it was really uh, long form. Oh, sure, uh, sure. But it was no. definitely that short form. But I, I would say that though we weren't, you know, we didn't watch television. My family was really into the theater. So we would go to theater all the time and they were activists. And so we would, you know, both my parents really chose the theater that we saw based off of telling stories so that we could connect sure. with other stories and other people and other struggles that maybe we didn't have a direct experience. Mm -hmm. So it was really uh, fantastic in that way. But certainly I remember uh, big hair and lots of makeup and, um, <laughs> yes. you know, her name was Rio. <laughs> the best and, part of the 80s. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, no, no, I, we have more homework to do. Um, I have to go over there again. It's too hard to study this over here. really important. Yes, really, really important. <laughs> That's fantastic. And then I guess we, we can jump forward a little bit um, to your days at Pixar. Um, what was your first position there? So I was hired to work on Monsters, Inc. as the story coordinator. And uh, I stayed on that film, uh, Pixar. So before that, I worked in visual effects in okay. L.A. And the crazy thing about visual effects is you know the production schedules are so fast that often... Sure time you're getting the shots to work on. And I was a producer, a coordinator producer um, in that role as well. And I worked for a really great, amazing company down there. Um, you know, the trailers are already out. And so, you know, it was just a really, really fast paced world. And I love that. And so then you move to Pixar where it takes Years. Years. It was a little, <laughs> it was a little glacial. Um, and I was sort of surprised at the pace. And I actually think in that other way that my family and friends were sort of thought I didn't actually have a job because I'd be like, well, I'm working on this movie. It's coming out in four years. They're like, no, you mustn't. That's not true because you work on things that turn around really fast. You're so, making that up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Monsters Inc. That's <laughs> that. Um, but it's, you know, it because of that, there there was an opportunity really to, to you know, for that perfectionism to come through. And sure. the... Uh, sort of repetition that breeds excellence, uh, which is hmm. certainly the, what Pixar is known for, which is really continuing to make sure that their stories are great before they're seen in the world. Absolutely. It can get a lot in the day to day, but it was a pretty oh, sure. 
magnificent time at that point. Absolutely. And for listeners who may not be super familiar with kind of the behind the scenes titles, can you talk a little bit about what a story coordinator does? Yeah, I think that that's actually one of the interesting things about animation and um, and, and maybe Pixar in general is that sure. the titles are not necessarily, they don't even translate <laughs> outside that industry. You're that going also. to do everything, but we'll slap exactly. this title on. <laughs> Um, and so, but in that role, I really got an opportunity to go to all the recording sessions with the directors, you know, really make sure that the script, uh, so they have, you know, at Pixar, it's a very collaborative process. You have a director that works both with a screenwriting team, uh, and a team of storyboard artists that are hand drawing the movie often for, Mm. um, a couple years before it even goes into animation. And so the coordinator really is making sure that all of that information is, in one place and it's getting to the right people. And so I traveled with the director a lot to go onto all the recording sessions to make sure that, you know, what was being recorded was actually what was being storyboarded or if there were changes in story. So, you know, I think like many roles in production, uh, it becomes a bit of being a cat hunter, you know, like can't (laughs) possibly be in, um, five places at once, but you know, I was very, you know, I was very young at the time. So it was (laughs) no problem. Yeah. I don't, I'd be too tired now, but (laughs) absolutely. And you brought up a really interesting point about animation, which I, I've been, I've been wondering about it. I'm not so much in that world. I tend to be more in the world of 360 video capture. But animation is fascinating to me because it is so laborious <laughs> and it, it it does take so long. It's not fast paced. Things aren't necessarily constantly changing. Um, and I've been talking with various women uh, who are involved with women in animation, uh, the organization, and, you know, they're aiming for that uh, 50-50 by 2020, I believe, or is it 2025, um, you know, equality behind the scenes especially in animation is important and do you feel like the um the pace of it is a deterrent at all because obviously in school a lot of women are going to study animation in school but there's a disconnect between school and the actual field and I was wondering if you have any insight into why that might be I think it's the fact that if you walk into a room and nobody looks like you, you're true, not necessarily true. sure how long you want to stay in that room. Absolutely. It's the same um, tech. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that is, I mean, I'm super, I think Women in Animation is an amazing organization and we partner with them with my organization, Camp Real Stories. And I sure. think the first step really in a lot of these is setting a goal and then working backwards from that goal and seeing how they can achieve it. Uh, I've actually been out of animation now um, for eight years, but sure. you know, I know that the animation schools at CalArts and many of them are now getting closer to 50, 50 in the, in the schools, which hopefully sure. will lead over into creating change in the industry. Absolutely. I think honestly, one of the things that makes it so hard is it, it isn't an industry that lends itself well to honing your craft on your own. You have to figure mm. out how to collaborate and, and how to get that uh, those experiences. And sometimes that's a little bit easier for guys that are working together to find colleagues. Um, and so, and to hone their craft and to practice their craft. And because the nature of, you know, animated films, I can't really speak to animated television, but they're so expensive to make is that I think it's harder to take a risk on maybe a younger animator. And unfortunately, I think since so many of the senior animators are not only male, but white and male, they often look for people that look like them, whether or not they even mean to, to kind of 
mentor up the absolutely it's that unconscious bias and and being in the tech world you know it's definitely it's a reality and and you know i've been able i've been lucky to find some male mentors and of course female mentors um but you're right when it when it comes to collaboration and and getting excited about what you do it is kind of it's more comfortable if there are people that look like you and happen to be the same gender as you um it's easier it comes easier and it's more fun and there's not sometimes that social awkwardness so that's really really interesting insight thank you but also to be clear the um employment equal opportunity employment commission yesterday handed out lawsuits to every single major studio so it's not just an unconscious bias (laughs) it's a conscious conscious one (laughs) so you know they i mean i we can be diplomatic about it but i also think that there has to be you know a really conscious effort by these companies to want to change I think we're getting there. We're making progress, well, but well, it's it not beat around the bush. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Before we talk, kind of circle back around the story a little bit, I would actually love to hear more about Camp Real Stories because right now you are being that door opener for girls and women who are interested in getting into the industry. This seems like a good time to talk about that. Can you kind of tell me what inspired you to start it? Yeah, uh, thanks. So Camp Real Stories, I founded in 2013, and it really was an effort to create, I mean, it was really self-serving to be honest, to create more <laughs> co- colleagues and <laughs> to try to figure out why, where the, um, where the gap was, right? So sure. I, like you, uh, I, you know, I've had many great, both male and female mentors in, in my career, and I pretty had a pretty great run. I don't have any sort of horror stories or glass ceilings <laughs> that I can really talk about. I know other people can, um, sure. but I didn't understand why we weren't getting more girls into these fields. And I personally, you know, I grew up though. I was not allowed to have television. I was allowed to play a lot of sports and I was a <laughs> terrible athlete, but it was played mostly with boys. And sure. I think having that sporting background and working um, with others towards a common goal was a really great foundation experience, and yeah. formative experience. And so I wanted to see how we could create that for girls that were like me that were also terrible athletes and didn't even want to <laughs> play the sport in the first place. So um, so we started out that first summer with just me and many of my friends uh, that are filmmakers, and we just put together a basic filmmaking curriculum in five days and then kind of didn't really know how it would play out. I was really incredibly lucky and I can only say it as luck as I had two women that asked to join my board of directors right away who actually taught media to youth because we didn't have that. I was like, well, I wonder if it matters that none of us actually know how to teach teenagers. Uh, It'll be (laughs) fine. What could possibly go wrong? Um, But that first year we had 30 girls that wanted to sign up, but most importantly, we had 60 professional women that asked to volunteer. So uh, it was, I mean, it was amazing. And what happened over that course of the week is not only did the girls get the opportunity to make films, but they made really good films, which we didn't expect. And so we threw a film festival for them. And then we entered (laughs) the films into film festivals and they got accepted all over the country and so we've wow. basically doubled in size every year. We went from one week to two weeks the next year. Then we add an advanced program because so many of our girls were coming back year after year. And this wow. year we have about 180 girls this summer of 2017 in our program, both in the Bay Area and in Los Angeles. And we're opening an affiliate in the Midwest as well. So, wow. and we continue to get this professional network that 
comes out of the woodwork, which is amazing, that want to share their level of expertise uh, with these girls. And by that, I mean, last summer, we had three Academy Award winners that came to camp. That's fantastic. So that's exciting. Super exciting. And really, what happens with girls is that they come into our program knowing two things as fact, which are totally not fact, uh, which is that <laughs> believe strongly that women, that girls can't work well together. Mm. Uh, and they believe that adult women uh, or mentors are just going to hold them back from their, any wow, sort of, really? That's interesting. Um, and then in the first day they see, Oh wait, I can work other, well with other girls. <laughs> and all of these professionals. Wait, this isn't here. real housewives, guys. Yeah, it's her now. Um, and you know, and it's, and I think that really also just shows how pervasive and influential our media is, right? I mean, many of these yes. girls have great female mentors in their lives, whether yes. that's their parents or their teachers. They don't see it played out for them at all, except mm. in this one form of entertainment that they're yes. getting. So we need to really show them that they're. Oh, whole like goals and dreams and aspirations they need to be bigger than the stereotypes and tropes that are presented to them absolutely that's fascinating so can we dive into a little bit I mean you started with this big goal we want to teach girls how to tell stories and really how to enter this industry that's a huge goal and a very uh good goal how do you break that down into one week what do you typically focus on with the girls once they're enrolled uh, it's a great question. It's, uh, it's a packed week. Our girls are <laughs> exhausted by the end of the day. Um, you know, as I said, we're in the Bay area, but there are actually only two other media programs for girls in the United States. One really? is in Seattle. Um, and one is in Hawaii. So, wow. you know, we're the only one, uh, in California. So we get girls that have come from as far away as Dubai last year. Um, wow. and we're a day, they have to, figure out where they're staying. Uh, so many of our girls come from a really diverse background, even if they're from the Bay Area, wow. and they don't even know each other when they come. So on that first day, they have to get to know one another. Sure. They learn narrative and documentary film from professionals in the industry. By the end of the day, they've decided if they want to make a narrative or a documentary film. Uh, they form a team or what we call a production company. They're partnered with an adult producer. The next day, they learn cinematography audio because they have to record and sync their own audio oh, and storyboarding. They come up with a treatment. They pitch that to their colleagues in the room. They get one whole day to shoot their film. Wow. And Thursday they learn editing and then they spend the rest of the day either finishing their shoot and then beginning their editing. And then Friday morning we do a rough cut screening where we bring in other professionals who can spend the morning with us and the girls screen their film in whatever capacity it's in and they get notes on it and then they have the rest of the day to finish it. That's fantastic. And then Saturday they screen it for 400 people. <laughs> no pressure guys. <laughs> um, and it's really, I mean, we have so many people are like, I couldn't get a film done in five days. And you know, and these films are like between five and eight minutes, but sure. nonetheless, they're, um, they're finished pieces. And they, and then every day we do media literacy curriculum and we had to create our own media literacy curriculum because what existed out there that we could find, I should say, uh, was just critiquing current media, which I think there's value to that. But we really wanted girls to get the skills on how to create stories in media that was more reflective of their experience. So we work on, you know, looking at the difference between genres of film and gender stereotypes in this film, intersectionality. Sure. So how, you know, a lot of what we learn about 
you know, when girls are put in the center of the story, often it's still a white girl. So how, how can we layer in if that girl is a girl of color or is a member of the LGBT community and how does that story shift? And really showing them that that's opportunities to create even more stories, to pivot mm-hmm. these characters, to look through an even additional lens and not as a challenge, but as an opportunity to expand that story. That's fascinating. I, my, my husband is a Pacific Islander and of course I'm white. And growing up, I never realized um, that, you know, non-white individuals don't have very many people to look up to in the entertainment world until I had a daughter. And uh, she's, you know, darker skin than me, dark hair, beautiful little island girl. And she's nine. And, you know, sometimes I'll hear her just make these little comments about, oh, mommy, I wish I had blonde hair like you, or I wish my skin was lighter, which breaks my heart because that's what she's seeing portrayed as beautiful. That's what she's seeing, you know, portrayed as desirable. And, um, you know, it's been so eye opening for me and really uh, has changed. the. I was aware of it before, but now definitely hyper aware and so that's it's amazing that you're challenging those stereotypes so thank you I I so appreciate what you're doing oh thanks Hannah I mean I can mirror your story my daughter's Latina and that was also another reason why I started this program was when she was four people were calling her Dora that's an anime character and it's not real it's also not her name um but you know so wow is that the only that can't possibly be the only Latina child on television I mean they're like 28% 28% of our population by now, mm-hmm. at least in the Barry alone. And it turns out that was like, you know, one of the few, yes. you know, roles that Absolutely. people, that's not a role. <laughs> but, you know, so it is just, I mean, and as you know, having a daughter, I have a daughter, it's from a, just a purely business point of view. This is so dumb. I mean, it these is. girls are going to have Preach, a tremendous amount of expendable income and they yes. want to spend it on anything that looks like them. I mean, I remember yes. going to Disneyland with my daughter when um, the Tiana character came oh, out and she wanted yes. to buy everything that was Tiana, even though she's obviously Latina and Tiana <laughs> is African-American, but like it was like something Doesn't that looked matter, like... Mom. And they, you know, even at Disneyland, they weren't selling like t- a lot of Tiana stuff. And I was like, you got, y'all are dumb. Like, just, <laughs> I would like throw down so much money right now for every yes. Tiana thing that you yes. have. Um, so true. And I mean, Moana, yeah. my, my daughter being Chamorro, uh, which isn't exactly, a, <laughs> we don't know mo- what Moana is. She's probably yeah. Polynesian. Um, but that to my daughter just watching her face just you know these are my people this is my culture it was it has been such an unbelievable experience and now she's got a Moana bedspread Moana toys Moana everything and it's given her something to aspire to it's it's so so powerful absolutely and so we want to create more opportunities but like I'm sure as you can tell as an adult woman and I can when we watch films that we're like yeah, you didn't even have a woman as a consultant. You know, when you don't yes. see those those characters that really resonate with you and you wait for the credits, you're like, oh, great shock. Yes. You know, and totally. when you see those films that totally resonate with you, you're like, thank you for listening to a story that, you know, matters to us. Uh, I think, I mean, I'm not sure if you follow this, but just recently the Hollywood Reporter does these roundtables and um, I think they're on the Sundance oh, yes, channel. I know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, the subject matter was breaking the princess mm-hmm. stereotype and ethnic tropes, and um, it was five white dudes. Five and you're white like, men. yep. It like, was a joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. And I was like, who 
we'll put that together. Cause I just like to talk to them for just, yes. a, just a few minutes about how that could have been so much better. Exactly. And then, you know, and then Elle magazine picked it up immediately and interviewed uh, four women in animation. And one of them was Brenda Chapman, who was kind enough to talk about our program, Camp Real Stories. That's and so awesome. it was kind of like, Oh, Hey, we're Hallelujah. in Elle magazine. Like I didn't know, like, <laughs> how did that happen? But, um, you know, it just, you know, again, someone sees the opportunity there and sees that women are not something that need to be sort of Absolutely. Put it like that. Secondary. It seems, yeah. yeah, it seems like at the table. Yeah, I was talking. I think it was last week with a woman named Gloria Kimbala. She works for a company called Square. You're probably familiar with Square. Yes. Um, in the the valley there as well, and we were discussing how oftentimes when it comes to diversity, at least in tech, and there may be some similarities in the animation world and beyond. Um, it really, the priority has to start at the top down. It has to start with the CEO. Diversity has to be a priority to the CEO in order for it to truly permeate every part of their business. Um, if it starts, you know, in middle management, that can make somewhat of a difference, but uh, it's not really earth shattering until it starts from the top down. And it seems like that's really the issue possibly in Hollywood, if you will. Um, that it's not starting from the top down and it almost it feels like we have to do it backwards and start these grassroots movements and just get a whole bunch of girls interested in joining the industry and hopefully disrupt it from almost from the bottom up but what are your thoughts on that um I couldn't agree with you more and I think the timing of that is uh fantastic I mean really as as this industry is sort of shifting under our feet. I mean, the girls that come through our program, your daughter, my daughter have a better camera on any phone that they have access to than I had in film school. And they have access to their own distribution channels with YouTube and Vimeo. (laughs) There's nothing truly stopping them. And we're seeing that these young women are just, if you give them just a little bit of, uh, training, training and some room to grow in Mm. and an opportunity to kind of experiment, they, you know, clearly hit the ground running in five days. Uh, I don't imagine that the industry, the film industry as it stands currently is really going to be the same one in a few years. And it seems so archaic when you have these people at the top that are not reflecting the society and and the community that they're in at all. Like, I don't see that lasting very long because (laughs) I just, (laughs) yeah, I just see these young women and young men of color and communities of color that are like, we're not going to put up with that. And we have, I mean, I think we're really starting to see that even in the journalism and news world, obviously, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of pushback on free speech right now, it seems like. And so people are just picking up their camera and showing what is their reality and the, and I think the con of that and the negative of that, which we may be seeing what's happening on a larger scale right now, but there's also a pro of it, which is, you know, giving, showing people what your experience is and giving an opportunity to learn about other people's experience and an empathy there, um, of, you know, being able to walk in the shoes of someone who has a completely different life than you. I mean, I think that's always about, you know, going back to the beginning of my career and what I love about stories and filmmaking is it gives me an opportunity sometimes to see things through a different set of eyes. Uh, I think sure. most clearly, most recently of a film that came out a few years ago called Wajida. And, you know, here was the first film ever made by a woman in Saudi Arabia. Hmm. And, you know, I watched it, it was like, I'm not sure how much I'm going to be able to relate to because that's a country I'm probably not going to be able to go to. Sure. But here it was like a mother daughter story, right? And, and about, a, you know, 
a community <laughs> that's shifting, a culture that's shifting under her feet mm. and really getting an opportunity to see behind a, a culture that I don't know that much about. And, you know, that's the great opportunity we have when we diversify our media. And it's a missed opportunity Absolutely. when we don't. Like, Absolutely. And if there aren't the programs available for girls, like what you are creating, um, they can't necessarily have one up on their peers because if they're going to disrupt the industry, they have to create not just decent content, but really great content. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a really great segue actually back into story a little bit. I know you're really passionate about story. I would love to, to hear um, what your opinion is on what separates a good story from a great story. You know, I think that that's what separates that is always what's in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> and I sure. think that that's, that's a sort of question. Yeah, it's totally. I mean, it's so interesting, you know, especially right now it's Oscar season and my husband who also works in the film industry, uh, you know, we're trying to see everything. And, you know, yes. when we disagree on things, By it's the way, always. Do you have any favorites? Uh, favorites for winner? I. Best well, yeah, I favorite for winner, but he's not going to win. Uh, <laughs> Which I one? Really, uh, Lion <laughs> nice. and Moonlight. Like if they can give two awards, which they can't, I but wish, I thought right? both, you know, I'm like, but La La Land's going to well, win. Of course it is. <laughs> I'm, it's fine. It was a great film. It made me feel happy. I, you know, I have no complaints about it, but like I sobbed my way through yes. Lion yes. and, and Moonlight and, uh, yes. you know, I, um, I, I agree so, with you. Yeah. Um, I did not see Hacksaw Ridge cause I don't need to see anything <laughs> that he makes. So we're good. Uh, but yeah, so I think, you know, I think it's what, but what, for me, whatever makes a good story is when you can see that authenticity there, right? And often, you know, when it's, you know, I find that so much humor is often at the expense of others. And mm-hmm. when we find stories that are funny and have like maybe an element of tragedy to them or yes. just the beautiful human experience, uh, and they're not just sort of, hangover type movies yes. <laughs> um, there's nothing wrong. I mean, I'm all for escapism but yes. uh you know I think that that's you know when it just draws you in and uh you know right now I think the the new world order of Netflix and Amazon I mean they're just churning out such great television that is right? just you know where you're just like it's just fantastic though I'm mad at Amazon for not um <laughs> renewing Good Girls Revolt which was the greatest show uh but you know you know. They'll come around. Yes, hope. that's right. That's right. Do you have any other favorites you wanna you wanna chat about? And I one thing I do love too along those lines is um, Amazon and Netflix and even Hulu are pushing a lot of shows that do definitely celebrate diversity. And Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, I mean, isn't that great? It <laughs> is. It's fantastic. Like, you're like, why aren't you doing that? <laughs> Guys, you're gonna lose. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's not, it's not. Look, they can do it. They did it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just think that there's, uh, you know, we've just seen a lot of uh, having a daughter. Uh, I just saw The Eagle Huntress, which was fantastic. Yes. For son. I have a daughter and a son. Um, you know, so finding films that both kids like. Hidden Figures. I mean, come on. That was so, so good. good. But all of my daughter's friends, which is just like this great, you know, group of girls that, you know, just really showed them an opportunity of, like how things used to be and why they have to, Absolutely. Why they have to pay a little bit more attention to school. <laughs> you know, like it isn't always the way, you know, it's, I mean, it's still not that great, but you know, it's it used to be a lot worse. So that, you know, I mean, again, these stories of our history that we need to know uh, are really Absolutely. fabulous. 
No, that is fabulous. Yes, uh, Hidden Figures. I love that it's been so successful, and and I'm also still glad to see it's got a great Rotten Tomato score because the tomato meter is my my jam, um, and it's good to see people responding well to it. And it, you know, it brings up another interesting point. At least I, I know I'm more saturated in the STEM part rather than the the A, the STEAM, which I think the A is super super important because um, I feel like the arts need to always be embedded in science, technology, engineering, and math. And I love the movement that is moving towards STEAM as opposed to STEM because I feel like that A is a really great way to get girls interested in those other pieces of subject matter um, because, you know, as women and not to stereotype, but we, we are drawn to story. We're drawn to relationship. We're drawn to those things. And if that can be integrated into all those other pieces, I feel like that sets girls up for success. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong, but I know at least with my own daughter, she definitely is more drawn to science and technology if there's some sort of an artistic element to it. And so we always try to find a way to, yeah. to sneak that in. I mean, in. I think, yeah, I, I think... You know, it's really interesting on who is doing that well. Um, I've been sort of following a lot of the work out of RISD, um, Rhode Island School of Design, because they really, I think, are integrating the A in STEAM very well. Absolutely. It seems like a lot of times it's maybe like shoved in there a little bit. Um, and so <laughs> we want, <laughs> yeah, it's a little A. Um, and we want, to, I mean, that's really the sort of overlap where we are um, with you know, Camp Real Stories and also Absolutely. as we move towards uh, towards VR for girls, adding VR elements to our programming and adding animation elements to our programming. I think what's really key in those ways, and it's really interesting, um, is to show girls what that career path looks like. like. And I Absolutely. think I loved a Google initiative made with code so girls could see yes. what these careers are because I think that that's really um, important. And it still is, it's hazy to me and I think it's hazy to a lot of people like, what happens in those big Google buildings or, you know, yes. because, you know, when you work on a film, there's like such an, it's, you know, it's, there's, a, everyone kind of sees your output. I mean, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully everybody <laughs> sees your output, but I think in tech, the tech industry, it can still be a little um, amorphous about yes. what your career is. And so I think yes. we need a little bit more of that because I do agree. Um, you know, it's just really interesting meeting people and meeting a lot of women who ask to come to talk about our program that don't necessarily come and talk at our program that ne don't necessarily work in film per se, huh. but they work in like medical science and they're using animation or they're using VR now as a way of treating, you know, illnesses um, or women that Absolutely. are working in the gaming industry. I mean, so there's so many careers and True. we want to see that because we need them in there so we can have better <laughs> yes. outcomes. Absolutely. And you just brought up um, VR. So let's just go ahead and jump into that whole subject. Um, as many listeners know, I'm in the VR industry and the AR industry. And that's a whole, it's like a new frontier of storytelling. And I love all the excitement that's around it. Um, what is Camp Real Stories sort of strategy in terms of how to move girls in that direction and prepare them for that world? The strategy is to try to make it available to them. I okay. think that that's, um, I think that's sure. the biggest key with VR, right? Is yes. there's so, it is, um, it's, it's going to be fabulous. And there's so many amazing, I mean, you would know more than I would, um, amazing uses for it. And so we really have to engineer ways to get those products in girls' hands. Yeah, yes. One of the things that we really struggle with in the Bay Area um, is there's a great income inequality here now. Mm -hmm. So how do we get these products, which are, you know, not inexpensive, cheap, in, yeah. 
girls' hands. And so, you know, we've been really amazed, frankly, at the output from the VR community in the Bay Area, that That's how great. open they've been about, yeah, let's give you guys a tour. Let's like loan you a camera. Let's see if girls, if girls are interested, we'd love to figure out ways to get them into be content creators. And so that's really exciting to me that um, on the ground floor, there isn't this like, yeah, we got this. It's cute what your girls are doing, but there's a real (laughs) actual interest. Um, So much so that they've been co they've been working with me on how to create really what that curriculum will look like. I'm not an expert in VR by any stretch of imagination. So we need those people at the table that are interested in showing girls. And then what's, seems to be so much more open than in other industries that we work with is just an, a real like foresight. Like if we don't get girls into VR now in five years from now, yes. 10 years from now, we're not going to have content. Exactly. So we want to get high, <laughs> high school girls in involved so that when they're in college, they're working for us. That's and, great. It, and I was like, great. We have a, we have a common goal. That sounds Absolutely. Like, let's, we've got the girls, you've got the equipment. Let's figure out how to get them together. So yes. I'm, um, I'm actually the most excited about VR and AR uh, this for 2017 That's for great. us. I'm not entirely sure what it looks like yet, but we have a lot of one-day workshops that we've got planned to really just kind of get, you know, to plant the seed for girls. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's, that's where we just because one thing that I'm noticing, I'm, I tend to be on the biz dev side of VR as well as some other production side, but. Um, a question we get a lot is we have these companies coming to us like we're, we're just we feel intimidated by this technology we don't necessarily want to dive into it we want an expert to dive into it for us which makes perfect sense it, it's a little bit intimidating to people and I think it's great if you can get the girls to just dive in head first because the two I think two of the biggest challenges with 360 video in particular are uh, the crew has to be invisible because the camera yeah. sees all <laughs> That's that's yeah. a challenge, right? So you have to set everything up and make sure that it's executed really well um, throughout the scene. And then, of course, the the sound piece. Um, you know, you can't necessarily have a boom hanging over the the camera unless you're going to do something in post production to hide it. So the challenges are really interesting, but that forces creativity, which I think is beautiful. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's such an exciting industry to be in for sure. Well, I'm excited to learn more. I'll have to reach. Yeah, I have to reach out, Hannah. So I'm like, okay, our girls want to do X, and I've never heard of it. How do we do do it? (laughs) Yeah, I'd be be more than happy. I actually studied secondary education theater. To I, you know, wanted to be a theater teacher for high schoolers. So I love that age group. It's it's so much fun and fantastic. And you know, they're they're just trying to figure out what to do with their lives. I think it's almost unfair to ask 18 year olds to determine their life path. They haven't had enough life experience. They don't know what they want to do. It's such a confusing time. So I think it's great when they can kind of dip their toe in the water before that point. And, and oh, I, I, you know what? I really love editing. That's my thing. Um, you know, find something that they love and then they, they can pursue with all their hearts with confidence. That's fantastic. Well, and I think that that's the great thing about this industry. Uh, no matter what you do, it you can actually have fun at your career. And so, you know, so maybe, yeah, totally. Um, and so, you know, these hobbies that these girls may be pursuing right now could end up, I mean, that's one of the things that's happening even for our girls at Camp Real Stories. We just created a relationship with a online platform called Adolescent and they, you know, they represent content created by teenagers. I mean, our girls have, 
you know, they have the opportunity to pitch ideas to them to see if, if they could get their ideas bought while they're still in high school. I mean, wow. so I think girls, you know, they're, you know, the after the millennials, they're, you know, they're seeing their parents often have multiple career spans. You yes. know, we have, you know, I'm in my forties and I did not imagine I'd be running a nonprofit at this, you know, and I <laughs> don't foresee like retiring sure. anytime soon. I love what I do yes. and would like to go back to creating media. And so having that as a role model that you don't have to figure out, out what you're doing for the rest of your life when you're 18, you could figure out your first chapter. And, Absolutely. um, and that chapter, as you know, could lead who knows where, but you just got to put one foot in front of the other. And that first chapter when you're young and it's okay to be poor and you're not hopefully <laughs> supporting a family, it should, be the, it should be the craziest. You know, you should shoot for the stars. Absolutely. So I think I have one last important question. We could go on and on, but um, if, if there's a woman who's maybe a mom listening or perhaps even a teenager that's listening right now and they truly, um, either the mom's interested in helping to set her daughter up for success and really wants her to explore this industry or the daughter herself wants to kind of dip her toe in the water, what types of things would you encourage um, them to work together toward in order to set that teenager or maybe college student up for success? That's such, really, you saved the hardest question for last. (laughs) That's okay. Um, I mean, I think really this industry, though it's very fun, you have to have a solid work ethic. So yes. I think showing young women that, you know, saying you're going to, you know, doing what you say you're going to do yeah. and understanding, you know, sort of, I hate the term paying your dues, but I can't think of a better yeah, one. You, it's the truth. And if you have those opportunities to kind of just dive in, you know, if someone gives you an opportunity to go on a film set and just volunteer for the day or do work for free, do it so you can kind of figure out where you want to place yourself in this industry. Sure. You know, you kind of have to try out a few things and maybe you won't like the first couple. Sure. But I would also encourage mothers and daughters to put themselves in front of the camera. Um, I know I suffer from that as well. I'm not particularly sure. excited to always have the camera on me, but girls need to see um, their, you know, see themselves reflected and they also we need to see mm. ourselves reflected in the yes, media we do <laughs> um, because girls are poorly represented but women over 40 are non-exist yes. um yes. and so you know showing girls by example like to get out of your comfort zone and you know try to record your own short videos um i think would be a really fun way to work on a project together uh, it can be hard because I also have a preteen girl and there's a lot of eye rolling and hair flipping, but <laughs> you know, trying to like be patient during yes. those times to, uh, to, you know, experiment and play because there's, especially when they're young, I mean, there really is no risk. Uh, so they should play and create and figure out their own craft, but also when they're working, um, we all know those people that have continued to skyrocket their career just because they've really been great people to work with. And then there's, we've all had people that are super talented, but are very difficult to work with. And, um, you know, we don't work with them as often anymore. That's true. Learning that emotional intelligence piece is kind of important. Um, so for anyone listening who maybe wants to keep up with your journey and also camp real stories, um, where can they find you and or camp real stories online? Uh, it's campreelstories.com. So it's R E E L. And you can go to our website. And if you're in the Bay Area or want to come to the Bay Area, you can register for our work, our summer camps, also our LA camp, and see all the films that are there. And then we're on all the social media channels Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Super. 
Well, thank you so much for your time today, Esther. I so appreciate it. And hopefully on my next business trip to the Bay Area, we'll get to connect. I would love that. Thank you, Hannah. Say goodbye to your little friend. Thanks for listening to Basic Brainheart. I'm not great at farewell, so uh, that'll do, pig. Check back soon for more heart pumping, brain boosting content.